Welcome to The Strategist, episode 1034. I'm your host, Annalise Klingbeil, and with you, as always, Stephen Carter and Corey Hogan. Hey, guys. Hey, hey we're going to work on those openings. You know, we're just going to work on the energy. <laughs> we are, we are going to bring it next time. I don't think you understand. Why don't you show us what you're looking for? Yeah, yeah, you got to show us what you're looking for. I'll here. count no, you I'm in. Going to. I'm not saying that my openings are good. I mean, I just listened to our podcast from last week, Corey. Our openings and endings remain shit. But hey, you did not have an ending up. last week, Carter. What do you mean? I mean, that was the greatest ending of them all. It just ended in a, in a way. Yeah, yeah. Here, here's, it was a kind of a testament and you know a commentary on life. Yeah, there's no endings; <laughs> things continue. It's no, just over. I just speaking of things continuing, I broke out. Broke <laughs> and out then it's in, over. Yeah, yeah, I broke out in hives with ten thirty four. You know, it's kind of bringing yeah. back a bunch of bad memories. I don't can't quite something about thirty four. Yeah, yeah, I can't put it back. Do you know that's an interesting point? Can I say that our last Patreon episode? I'm just gonna, you know, you're gonna plug us, you know, toot our own horn here. Yeah, yeah. It was described by people as not as bad as they thought it was going to be. Yeah, um, listenable. Somebody described it as. Yeah, yeah. high praise, very high praise. Made us wonder why so. we even have a host at all when yeah, either. I, I know you wondered that. I, I saw you tweeting about that. Why, we why am I here? We were wondering, really, Annalise, when did you like stop fearing us and being able to say no to us? Like it took a very <laughs> I mean, limited amount of time. I, I'm going to blame it on my um, child who came home from daycare puking, and uh, and that happened. And then he gave me pink eye. So so here we are. I, Heather Maybe. does that to Stephen all of the time. Yeah, yeah. and he pukes from him and gives him pink eye, and he I, still is part of the story. I show up for work every day, Annalise. Yeah. Every day. Yeah. But <laughs> Carter, do you have a working computer when you show up for work? That's the real question. Um, let's move. How's that first segment looking? You got to first. Hey, yeah, don't tell me about your outdoor experiences. How you hey, don't that, have me. a new computer, but you have a Tesla. <sighs> Bad yeah, choices. I want to hear more made. about that. Yeah. yeah. Bad choices have been made. And didn't they drop the price like $15,000? Couldn't you have 20, bought 22000 <laughs> Several computers. That That's true. I could have bought like you could a have a lot of backup computers. Yeah. yeah, but it's back up now, so I feel marginal. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. That's good. Okay. Oof. But thanks for bringing that up, yeah. Corey. Wow, what a friend! What a friend! You know, don't worry, pal. My car is still as expensive as ever. If you go order it, yeah, so. that's right. Well, that's what I'm excited about. You and I are racing, uh, racing electric vehicles this week, aren't we? We're gonna meet somewhere so. and race. Yeah. Yeah. We're going down to the drag strip. Yeah. Perfect. You're not invited, Annalise, because you're yeah, annoying. I don't want to go. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm annoying. Okay. Yeah. I don't want to go. Um, let's move into our first segment. Hold on. Which... Annalise, do you have the Queen's Jubilee medal? No. Not asking for any reason. Okay. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. I don't have it, but everyone has it. it we, everyone. This is the whole thing. If yeah, you listened everyone to the Patreon it. episode last week. Yeah, this you know the whole fucking bit. I did listen because I knew say. that it didn't have an ending. Everyone has That's one. You're sad that you didn't get one. Seven thousand people got them. You were not among those seven thousand people. Neither were you. Don't make it sound so fucking judgmental. <laughs> <laughs> I did them. I did go to a Queen's Jubilee medal ceremony. Um, no, you did not. I did. I'm not kidding. To support oh a friend. Oh, my God. One. Yeah, because I'm a good friend, Carter. Uh, oh, I brought God. I brought my baby even. It was on a Sunday. and um, Was it Zane's? Because that it would Zane's? be quite <laughs> That would be really upsetting. It was, not, it was not Zane's. No. 
No, it was not Zane's. We did um, have to go to Zane's child's uh, religious indoctrination on the weekend. You you weren't invited, that? but no, Corey I and I were. Invited. Yeah. How how would how did that go? They served tiny Kit Kats. Yeah, it was cool. End. And then did you get the uh, the expensive chocolate on the way out? No, was that, was that all expensive. gone? Yeah, I think you just stole that from a wedding. I may have. I may have. Fuck. Did did they wear matching outfits? No, I think uh, no. Zane much was in better jeans. dressed than Zane, the yeah. baby. Okay. Yeah. The baby looked great, but the baby looked drunk, uh, drunk or drugged. One of the two. Like I've never seen a baby's arms just hanging from its body the way that baby was. I'm not remotely convinced it was the kid. I think they brought a prop baby for the ceremony. I I think it was the right kid. I just think it was drugged. I think it was his kid, but just completely drugged. Well, he didn't make a noise we'll through the whole ceremony. Sounds no, like a good point. baby. Yeah. yeah, it's a great community there. Great community. We had a lot of fun. Okay. It was, it was chocolate. But you, but you didn't go you didn't go to his Queen's Jubilee medal ceremony? No, didn't care. No. Okay. You, I objected <laughs> for... Um, what, what was the reasoning that we came up with, Corey? Uh, Republican oh, you were invited. Oh, yeah, yeah Repu- we're Republicans. No, we yeah. weren't invited, but we came up yeah. with reasons why we didn't go. You wish you were. Okay. okay good start. Uh, okay, we're going to move minutes. in. It's getting better. Yeah, it's getting better. We're going to move into our first segment. It's um, it's a new segment I've created because I'm the host and I can do that. Yeah, it's called Update Roundup. And because I care about our audience, I'm just going to give like some little updates from some recent episodes and uh you guys you guys are gonna just give me your reaction just like short and sweet we don't need to dive deep we have on previous episodes um but there's been lots of updates so the first one we talked about um i think a week ago where is daniel smith um it was a question that a listener had asked in the lightning round today ctv has a story again strategist ahead of the news cycle uh, CTV has a story. Daniel Smith was on a vacation. She was away for a week and a half. Um, and they said she hasn't appeared publicly to take media questions since January 10th when she had a press conference and she promised to be more accessible to journalists. So just quickly, Corey, what's your reaction on this uh, take, taking vacation and uh, not taking media questions? To be fair, she didn't say Albertan journalists. So perhaps in Hawaii, they had great access or wherever she was. Real possibility. Could have been. Perfect. Yeah. Carter, your thoughts? Uh, I never begrudge politicians their vacations. I know that she'll be entering into a very challenging time with session and then a potential election afterwards. So I don't have the, oh, how dare she go on vacation thing. I just kind of, I do think that saying that she's on vacation is okay. And um, I was kind of disappointed that they just didn't say, oh, yeah, she's on vacation. And she'll comment on this when she returns. What? Do, yeah. You know, do you can I second when... that? Like, why? Go ahead, Corey. Why do they make it such a deep, like, secret when politicians go on vacation? It's the most ridiculous thing. She is now going to be going full out until the end of May, at least. Yeah. Right? Of course she went on vacation. Of course she did it in January when it's quiet, relatively, in the legislature. Yeah. Why do people need to feel shame about this particular thing? Now, I get it during the pandemic when you're sneaking off in violation of, of public health guidelines. But when you are taking a vacation in in relatively normal times, I don't understand. I'm with Stephen there. Why okay. they have to be so sneaky about it? Do you guys yeah. think you, when you are a politician like that and you take vacation, you sh- you should tell people where you were? And does it matter where you were? No, you get to go on vacation. I don't tell people where I go. Go on vacation. You, they're regular you human literally beings. Literally, do pay- live podcasts of where you are. <laughs> When you're on vacation. That's true. I do do that. Everyone knows where Carter is when he's yeah. on vacation. 
yeah. But you don't have everyone to, about your FDOs. You, <laughs> just pop by. Just pop by. Take whatever you want. The, the address. Okay. We, we've also figured out that we're in a six block, you know, a 10 block radius. So, you know, everybody can, as they're dropping in my house, they can drop by Corey's yep. place too. <laughs> Perfect. Um, our next update, it just has to do with Danny dollars, which people got. I don't know if you guys knew this, but January 31st, um, people got the money. I didn't see any headlines, not very much chatter. I, some people got the money on January 31st. I think yeah. it depended when people applied. Ruth did not. Ruth did not Ruth get her money. Ruth didn't get her money? Yeah. Oh, no. It's, it's, how's it's, that going, Carter? Well, listen, it's been blamed on me. I'm not sure how that came around, but... Uh... <laughs> I've been doubling down on Heather to say, you know what, you know, you got to get your ass in gear and get this money for your mother. But Heather's not responding particularly well to that message structure. Bruce, Bruce needs that $100. She'll just get double in February and then it'll seem like a bigger deal, right? Right. Exactly. That's what you said. Yeah. Um, So just a quick update here that actually we found um, the folks in our strategist discord channel gave us this update which is that on at least a few of the bank statements it came in the writing was government of a um is who it came from any any thoughts there i mean that works i I think it's perfectly for me government of assholes absolutely fits (laughs) jesus come on what did i do i don't think people are going to be sitting there going government of a what Government of a what? How are they got to finish that sentence? I think people get it. They, Do you think they know sitting... when, it's the, when it's like, when it's a hundred dollars, it's not that $600, it's a hundred dollars. And then it says government of a, like, why wouldn't it well, be what? like GVMT like, of Alberta or something? Put Alberta in there. Well, you Great should be question. a communicator. That's certainly really some stuff. optimization that was possible there, probably on the bank side, but it's, you know, unless you're what sitting in Acme, then you're going to be like, maybe this is from my municipal government. But otherwise, it's like, well, here I am in Canada. Canada doesn't start with an A. Here I am in Alberta. Oh, that does start with an A. Uh, I'm also in Calgary, and that does start with a C. So I guess by process of elimination, it must be government of Alberta. Like I feel like people have the ability to do that. I, I wouldn't. Okay. Critical. I, I think that's a little overblown. I think it's almost people looking for oh like an God. excuse that the government fucked this one up. Corey is actually. I don't think that's such a big deal. Corey has actually met our audience and still thinks that people are smart. This is staggering to me. <laughs> Jesus. Ouch. Okay, moving on to the next one. Like, just drive-bys left and right. Oh, I'm having fun You, you started it by insulting the government, and you ended it by insulting all our listeners. That's nice. And oh, the, the kicker is that my next update is a compliment to you, Carter. It's that Carter oh. was right. Um, so maybe I should just cut this. I don't know. Yeah, no, let's that. just marinate in the fact that Carter just said how stupid they were and that they agree with him that he's right. Okay, yeah, just, actually, that is true. Just soak in that. Um, but just the Mike Schreiner stuff, a quick update. Um, Schreiner now says that he needs time to think about joining the liberals. Um, uh-huh. I, th- I, th- I think Carter called that. Can we agree on that? Yes, we can. Carter did call that. We, yeah. we, we also discussed, Corey and I discussed, um, how how upset you were that that was the situation and that's how the I world was worked. you were yeah, you like were visibly known. upset by that i was and, i should have known that that i know that that's how the world works i've worked in politics but you know you you it just feels so calculated it and was calculated i know that's i don't like that i'm well, upset about it still. <laughs> thanks for rubbing it in you Corey were right great great joy it. We felt great joy that you suffered. So things are really working suffer. out on the podcast. Yeah. 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 Uh, just the last one, Kids Tylenol. I think you guys have talked about this. 
recently. Um, and I have a kid who is sick a lot because he just started daycare. So it's relevant to me. Um, but just the, the update here is, remember the feds were going to order all of this pain medication. And then at the same time, the UCP was like, hey, we're getting 5 million bottles from Turkey. Um, and that was in early December. So there was an update from City News last week saying this shipment is getting closer to arriving. They're still labeling issues. Hold tight for a couple of weeks. Um, it's not on shelves yet. So just... I guess reaction here, and I'm curious if you think the province's strategy, like, did it work or did it backfire? When people go to the shelves and they see them full of kids' Tylenol, are they like, "Sweet, thanks, Daniel Smith"? Like, no, we 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 went through a whole pandemic of of production issues and, and supply issues, and I don't think anybody's sitting around going, "Oh, thanks, Danielle, for fixing things." Things go on the store shelves, things come off the store shelves, unless you get an actual letter from the government saying, "I've got a you know uh, a thing of children's Tylenol for you here." You're never going to put two and two together. I'd be shocked if people are going around and saying, "Oh, thanks, Danielle, thanks for the basic pain medication uh, for my child." What Not what was helpful. your strategy then? Like, why did what was what was their thinking behind being like, let's get five million bottles from Turkey that's going to take two months to get here? I don't know. No, I think it. Yeah. I think it works fine. I think the the fact that people don't put A and B together necessarily is exactly why this works for the government. This is just recapping what we talked about, but. People will remember there were shortages. People will remember the government declared action and people will see shelves become full and they will make like a causal assumption that does not exist. And so even though they are stumbling with actually getting this product out, and I would say from a policy point of view, this was not a home run by the government. You know, you know, the spirit was willing, the intentions were good, not, not well done. Um, Nonetheless, I think Albertans will largely, because they are not so tuned into it, they're largely just going to say like, okay, Daniel Smith said she was going to fix the problem and the problem's fixed. Ergo, Daniel Smith fixed the problem. Oh God, you're so wrong. Carter, you don't agree with that? <laughs> no, because it's the exact opposite. People aren't running around going, oh, Daniel Smith fixed the problem. The government gets blamed. Government doesn't get the solution. It's very rare when an actual problem is solved by government and then everybody's running around going, oh, thank goodness the government showed up to help us. You cynic. No. No, listen, the when only did, time people cared about this is when the shelves were empty, empty. Exactly. Right? That's, when right that's when they that, got blamed. That's when they got No, that's when they got They didn't get the loud. solution. That was when they got blamed. All they heard was Danielle Smith's first action. They did not hear the follow through oh. because at a certain point, the problem became back burner, just not as big of a deal. Yeah, Carter, what was the uh, following your theory? Like, what was there? What was Danielle getting Danielle Smith's head? What was her thinking? She saw it. She actually wanted us to get medicine on shelves and it would come sooner than two months? Well, no, I mean, it, it, sure. I mean, sure. Um, she wanted to solve the problem. That's not actually what her thinking was. Her thinking was, is there a way to get me out of this pain point so I don't have to deal with this pain any longer in government? And someone said, well, I think we could probably order, you know, 5 million package, packages from Turkey or something. I heard that they have some. And she went, yes, let's do that. I don't like this pain anymore. So it had very little, I think, to actually do with, you know, color me cynical, but I just don't believe that this was done because the uh, general population was having difficulty finding pain medication. I think this was done because they didn't want to have this particular nightmare to deal with um, as they were, you know, uh, assuming the reins of power. No, see, I think this is a new government 
problem. And obviously not everybody in her government's knew. But Daniel Smith came in, Daniel Smith saw a problem, and Daniel Smith said, this should be easy to fix. We'll just get medicine from somewhere else. There was medicine somewhere else in the world. And then all of the reality came crashing down upon the challenge. Like, oh, yeah, you know what? We actually need to worry about safety requirements here that are not everywhere in the world. You've got to worry about these labels actually being readable. You've got to make sure that these labels actually talk about things to a Canadian standard. And, you know, I'm sure her first reaction was, this is ridiculous. Let's just get it fixed. And I'm sure her second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth was, shit, this is a lot harder than I thought. And this happens with new governments. You see it all the time with new governments. They think they come in there with such swagger. They believe their own press. They believe all they need is some common sense and some smart people and all of the walls will come down. And they'll just be able to walk freely towards their goals. But it doesn't actually work like that. Government is full of smart people. And often when we run into problems, are they intractable? Not as often as the public service sometimes treats them, but they're usually a little trickier than politicians initially think they are as well. But I don't think that that your answer and my answer are mutually exclusive. I think in some ways you're, you're, you're reinforcing my position. Okay, Just we'll, fix this we'll problem, let the, Daniel yeah. Smith style. We'll let the listeners weigh in on that one, Carter. Why? Uh, Why? We've done this. Why, because, why are you doing this? Because this like, is my new is segment. This? I and care about brief. the listenership. What is that? It's you brief. invite the listeners okay. into this, and then uh, I'll say, you know, you're going to be sorry. You're going to be We're sorry. We're moving on to our next segment. <laughs> okay. Our next segment is called Political Walkbacks. This one is interesting to me. It's kind of an interesting like intersection of politics and policy, and I want you two to weigh in. So stay tuned. Um, so just super briefly, last week, we saw two walkbacks from the federal liberals. One involved amendments to the gun bill, which basically removed the most controversial part of it. Um, amendments G4 and G46 would have outlawed currently legal rifles used daily by hunters and sport shooters. Um, Polyev is calling this a humi- humiliating climb down. And then the second one, I'm putting it in this category because I want to chat about both. I don't know, maybe you might call it like a extension, not a walk back. Um, but it has to do with the, the medically assistant, uh, the mage sort of stuff. So um, the Trudeau government is delaying the expansion of medically assisted dying to people with mental illness is their only underlying condition, um, delaying that until 2024. The federal justice minister told reporters last week they need more time to get this right. So two different issues here, very different issues. I want to acknowledge that. But I want to dive into this walk back aspect from the strategy perspective. So in one case, with a made case, it almost feels to me like you had policy that was written like years ahead of its time. Um, and they're now dealing with the reality of that. Some could argue on the gun control stuff, maybe it was written on the fly and they're now realizing there's issues that weren't intended. Um, but Corey, let's start with you from from that strategy perspective. Like let's dive into walkbacks. Are they good? Are they bad? Are you only allowed a certain number? Does this show that people writing this legislation are, are humans and they make mistakes? You have an unlimited number of walkbacks, but you have a certain amount of time. How can I put this? Uh, you have a certain amount of time that you can hold on to a position 
and then be forced to walk back. So like it, you're better to fail fast is what mm-hmm. I'm trying to say. Like if you're the government that's holding on doggedly in four month stretches and then retreating, you're not going to be government very long and you're certainly not going to be an effective government. But you can fail fast as often as you want. If it, if it's like one week, oh, this is going bad. Let's get out of here. Second week, oh, this different thing's going bad. Let's get out of here. That's okay. And government should be more willing to, to walk away from the policies that are deeply unpopular. Uh, something I always tell crisis communications clients and, you know, even corporate masters is like, do not spend two weeks defending the indefensible. There's this thing that happens everywhere. It's not just in politics. It happens in boardrooms across the nation. It's just, like I said, it's it's human nature stuff where you come under attack for something and your first instinct is defend, defend, defend. No, 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 no. I wasn't wrong to do this. Here's the 12 reasons why I was actually correct. And you really need to sit there and say, does that pass any kind of reasonable person test? Would an external viewer see this as me acting reasonably? And you've got to put your ego aside and you've got to determine whether... A, you were actually maybe in the wrong, which I think is perhaps more so the case with the medically assisted dying. I've got thoughts on that. Oh. And and then B, like, even if you don't think you're in the wrong, is this a thing that you're just never going to win on? And is it going to become a distraction from the things that you actually want to do that will actually have value, which I think is more the gun climb down one. So, I, you know, I I think both showed a certain maturity, a government seven years in understanding they don't need to win every battle. Um I don't agree with Pierre Polyev that this is humiliating in any way, shape or form. I think it's smart and I think it's frankly relatively mature considering the baseline I start with when I look at politics. Yeah. Carter, I jump think, in. I think that the made decision is, is smart. I mean, keep in mind that this whole made situation um, kind of comes from a court decision and has, has been reluctant, has been thrust onto a reluctant government. Uh, trying to find a way of uh, on, let's just say, exceptionally difficult circumstances. Um, you know, I uh, we had a friend of ours uh, take you know die as a result of actions with the made decisions, and and boy, you know, it's tough. He had early onset Alzheimer's, um, and frankly, I'm just really thankful that made enabled that decision um, for him. Right. It doesn't need to be everybody's decision. It doesn't need to be. But for him, I'm, ha- I'm happy that it did. And for people who are suffering from extreme mental illness and and, and want options, um, I hope that they come up with something that makes sense. However, that's really freaking hard. I don't think that, you know, any room of 20 qualified experts is going to come up with a unanimous decision on how this thing makes, you know, how this makes perfect sense, because it's just a very, very complex issue. Um, and I think that the made decision was backed away from relatively quickly for more consultation. Um, I do think that the gun control back away was a mistake. I think that uh, that's the one that they hung on to for f- just far too long. It's it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. And not only that, this is something that we saw with um, the NDP and their and their defense of the just transition. Right, the 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 people were out front. The people were defending where the government was, and then the government under you know took took them out at the legs. And the, that's one of the one of the critiques that Corey had on the just tra- transition messaging from the NDP. It was right. Uh, again, don't like admitting that, but it was a right critique. And I think that that's also their critique now 
of this backing down on the gun legislation. You've had those people out there for four months on the power in politics and the you know the the yeah. the, 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 the punditry shows and on Twitter and everybody's been defending. Well, it's not as far as you think it is, and it should be. You know, we should have control of these guns and blah blah blah. And now all of a sudden the. The government has backed away from it, and it has taken the legs right out from its most vocal proponents. It may have been the right decision, but if it was the right decision, then it was probably the right decision three weeks ago or three months ago, not the right decision today. And it, it isn't Pierre Polyev's humiliating defeat or anything along those lines. He's probably most pissed that he doesn't have that as an election issue that he can bang on. Um, now it's gone. I mean, he's still going to bang on it, but maybe the government comes up with a better solution. Yeah, you know, the big difference, Stephen, and I agree with you, they should have, if they were going to get here, again, you don't want to be dragged kicking and screaming to the inevitable conclusion, fail fast, right? Mm -hmm. The big difference, though, is it is 2023. It is February of 2023, and they've got some time. They do. Uh, And that was not the case with the NDP and, and their particular actions. No, but it's the same kind of disease, and I think the way you described totally it, agree. Uh, the, this, the way you described it is kind of a as a disease or as something where you know we fall into this defense of uh, this is part of the problem with punditry. You know, we like to think of ourselves as uh, you know several degrees better than any pundits. Um, <laughs> you sure do. Yeah. <laughs> But that's because we're trying to look at why something is happening as opposed to just simply defending every action of the government. And this is one of the places where you really see that weakness, right, where you see that, you know, we were out there defending the government and we're punditing as hard as we could. And now the government has gone and reversed themselves. And now I have to go out and say how great this is. Right. On on that why on that why question, though, is there I mean, do you look at like when we change this here, the voters that might come our way and like that well you know polyev's gonna slam us right now for the walk back but if we keep this he's gonna continue slamming us for months like chat chat through that kind of why on a decision like this where um you know timing aside when you're doing the walk back well i think it depends on why you're walking it back are you walking it back because it's politically unpopular are you walking it back because you found that there's actually a problem within your legislation made you're walking back because there's a problem within the legislation it is a difficult complex problem and i think that they are walking back the gun decision because it's politically unpopular so those are two different motivations and i think that the politically unpopular um you know that decision should have should have been managed differently uh, in a perfect yeah, world, know, it would be managed much differently. The guns one is interesting to me, and it's it's probably worth digging into more in, in polling and, and trying to figure this out. But liberals will always tell you something like 80% of Canadians support gun legislation. And some variant of that was a talking point for a long time, right? Yep. As though uh, that was in its own right enough. But it reminds me a lot of um, New Coke. So New Coke was a a product brought in to replace old Coke in the eighties because um, people liked Pepsi more. Pepsi was winning that taste test challenge. The original taste test challenge was coming out. And there's a couple of reasons why that was the case. One of them is that Pepsi's sweeter. So if you're only having a little bit of it, maybe you do like it more. Coke fans will say that they like Coke more because it's not as sweet. It's not as cloying long-term, but that's not here nor there. The point is Coke said, we're going to have to change up this very old formula. And so they created just Coke. We call it new Coke now, but this new formulation and they brought it to focus groups. And most people were like, yeah, it's fine. 
And there was always one or two people in the focus group who just railed against it and talked about how awful it was. And they absolutely hated it. And they would over time poison the entire focus group against mm. the, the formula. And what famously happened at the time is the people running the focus groups told the brass at Coca-Cola, don't worry about it. It was only one or two people in each focus group. It's not a big deal. Now, the reason why this is a notorious story in focus group stories is because it actually was quite reflective of what happened in the real world. Most people don't give a shit about colas, right? They don't sit yeah. there and care about the formulation of them. And the one person who does, because you do not give a shit, you're like, hey, man, whatever. I dust my hands of this. I guess you're right. I'm not going to sit here and fight with you about whether this is the right formulation for Coke. And notoriously, what happened was population turned against the new Coke formula and they had to go back. Mm. And that's why it says Coca-Cola classic on your bottles of Coke now. And that was at the end, uh, like an accidental marketing coup. But the thing about guns is this, most of us do not think about guns at all, you know, at, at all, all in so far as we think about them, we worry about handguns. We worry about assault rifles. We worry about guns in an urban context that might be used against us. We're certainly not thinking about long guns. But one in five Canadian households have a gun in them, right? There are a lot of gun owners in this country, and they were pissed about it. They were pissed, they were ready, they were activated, and the rest of us didn't care. So in a way, the liberals sort of uh, landed on this thing for the oldest reason in the books, salience, right? It was an issue where if you just voted it on popularity people didn't like guns. But if you thought about it in terms of salience, how much the issue mattered to that one-fifth of Canadians, big fucking deal. And nobody wants to deal with one-fifth of Canadians yelling at you on an issue that the other four-fifths of Canadians don't actually care that much about. That was well explained, Corey. Thank you for... Uh... Thank you for it's such a role here. coherent explanation <laughs> yeah. that made a lot of sense and had like an engaging story. And then you related it really well and you tied it together. Thanks for that. Okay, so... Just an add, <laughs> just adding, because you know you haven't praised me on my storytelling, but if there's corporations out there that want to learn about uh, what we call an inoculation strategy to avoid that, you can call me at Decide Campaigns, uh, and I will answer your calling. And you can pay me money for the inoculation. Okay, nice, nice plug there. Yeah, nice very plug good, there, Carter. Yeah, um, Heather wants to retire, which sounds weird. So I'm going to have to make some money, which also <laughs> sounds weird. In quotes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, while we're while we're talking about this federal stuff, um, just a little a little segue, because I think we've dived into the walk box. Um, but Corey, I know you really want to chat about this and you just explained things so well. So I'm gonna like oh hand you God. this softball here. <laughs> what the fuck <laughs> happened with you two? That's, well, Carter, at the beginning of the episodes when your computer doesn't work, we've got some time to chat before yeah, you hop on chat, and we start recording. We what do you think oh we do for God. those four minutes when you? I assume you your talk computer? about how much you miss me. I mean, this is. <laughs> okay, uh, so Corey, I know you want to talk about this line that Polyev has been using. Canada is broken. Um, oh. There was national polling today that showed apparently most Canadians surveyed agree Canada is broken. You've got some some thoughts. Um, t tell us your thoughts on Canada is broken. 
Well, and they're maybe not what listeners are expecting. I think it's a brilliant calm strategy by Pierre Polyev. He has managed to really... In, so I did a bit of this on Twitter too. We often talk about ballot questions and obviously we're not in an election right now, but this is a great example of somebody defining the entire focus of the conversation rather than trying to win the conversation. There is no way, as long as we are all debating whether Canada is broken or not, for Justin Trudeau to win. At absolute best, at absolute best, Justin Trudeau, if he could convince 100% of people who are like, wait, is Canada broken? That it wasn't? He's managed to convince them that's not broken, which is not a reason to vote for him. It's just, you know, it's it's like, it's the, it's the lamest victory humanly possible. And so... I, I got to give him top marks. This is pretty remarkable how he's got everybody in the pundit class debating whether our country is broken. That's incredible. And and there's just very little ability for government to win on that turf because anything that goes wrong becomes a proof point that Canada is broken. The liberals that I see writing, you know, tweet threads and long form opinion pieces about this of why Canada is not broken. You know, I wonder if they know what they're doing. I wonder if no. they appreciate exactly how much they are playing into the Pierre Polyev game. It reminds me so much of, of a more polished, it's a more polished version of Donald Trump in 2016. You know, make America great again. We laughed about it. We chuckled about it. But that, that had some stopping power because we could sit and we could think about it. And if you're an American and the idea is great or not great, you know, do we want to be great or do we not want to be great? That's an amazing amazing frame uh, for somebody who's railing from the outside. Similarly, the idea that the country is broken and needs to be fixed is an amazing frame. But the debate around it is amazing for uh, opposition leader like Pierre Polyev. And I think that's why you're seeing he is currently leading in the polls more than any conservative leader and conservative parties led over the liberals since 2015. What about what about the timing here? And I saw some kind of feedback to what you put out there, people saying, yeah, but the federal election isn't for a year. No one cares. Um, speak, speak to that. I mean, well, can I jump in on that? I mean, go you, for it, when, you, I got pre, when you preset something this strong yeah. and you preset that it is broken, and let's be clear, there's three of us on this podcast. Each of us could have very different reasons for why it's broken, including like one of us could be saying, yeah, it's broken. And that's why we have to keep the conservatives away. But the, the, the premise that Canada is broken will set and become the default position if the if the liberals don't find some way of breaking this down and stopping this from being the, the default discussion point you know if you if you when when you are successful in setting these questions you don't have to set it within a four week rip period or a five week rip yeah. period you can set it well in advance i mean i one of my most successful questions that i ever set was would you rather have the right honorable joe clark or what's his name and once you set that positioning, it doesn't matter if it's six weeks in advance, six months in advance, who is what's his name? If he spends the next six months answering the question, have you heard my name? He is, in fact, reinforcing my primary problem. Trudeau needs to find a way to get past this. This is a place where the channel needs to be changed and it needs to be changed right now. And this has always been what we've characterized as one of the big the big weaknesses of uh, this liberal government is the inability to recognize that something's a problem and then to be get past it with a uh, with a really resolute channel changer. And I just don't think yeah. that they have it in them right now. So there's, I agree. The, the, there's two reasons in my 
mind. One of them is basically Stephen's reason, but I want to expand on it. When I hear the comment, it's so far to an election, that's that's shorthand to me too. Because the second half of that thought is, and nobody's paying attention, mm-hmm. right? It's so far to an election and nobody's paying attention. But as you pointed out, we have polling that shows this is actually landing with Canadians. Mm-hmm. Canadians are starting to feel like this country is broken. L- listen, it's been a wild fucking ride in, in the past few years. It's not a crazy thing that Canadians would be really kind of in sorts about COVID-19 and inflation and you know trucker convoys and you know this sense that Alberta has gone lawless and Quebec has gone lawless and, it's and, January, and that this February, country is not right? working. Well, it's and I, cold, I, I think all these what, things, right? What stood out to me with the polling, I just read one brief story about it, was that it's um it was women and young people who had the highest answers in terms of Canada is broken, which speaks to your point of, you know, maybe some of those people are saying, well, Canada is broken because of the trucker freedom stuff, whereas people in the trucker freedom stuff are saying Canada is broken. Yeah, but, but ultimately, if your your thesis is Canada is broken and you buy into it as a Canadian, that's not helpful to the Trudeau government. So, you know, it's so far from election only matters in if you're bringing up issues that are, you know, most people are not going to be paying attention to. Of course, you think about half-life. Of course, you think about the fact that these, you know, natural natural stories that pop up like if a, if an issue of the day came up right now i guess i'm saying at least i would say yeah it's so far to an election who cares but that's not what this is yeah. this is a field testing of a narrative that the conservatives are clearly going to use and they're going to use every issue of the day as a proof point and what we're seeing so far is that the uh, the liberals don't have sort of any answer to it and that leads me to my second reason why i think it matters now which is it is showing us Something about the liberals and something about the conservatives. And it is that the conservatives are much more adroit at setting the table on these matters at this particular moment. So when I think about all of that, you know, I I, I don't wave my hand away at this. Like, it, it's telling us something about the next election. Does it mean everything? God, no, of course not. We don't even know when the next election is. But it sure means more than nothing. Like, we're learning about the parties and something is being established in Canadians' brains. So, Carter, how do you, let's say you're advising the Liberals and this is on the radar, this is a big issue, we can't keep going down this road. Um, how do you counter this? What's what's the strategy to, to shift it? The, well, the strategy is don't counter it, per se. Like, you don't go out there and say, this is... This is why we're not why we don't suck. You cannot accept the premise of the of the statement. So you have to be able to to change the channel or change the question. And you know when when the liberals were successful with this, they changed it to childcare or they changed it to um uh dental care, right? Or they they were able to change it to issues that mattered to Canadians. And when they are successful in doing that, um, then they are well on their way to good things. When they are unsuccessful in doing that, that's when things really can turn negative on them. So my thinking would be, how do we change this channel to something that we can win on? What is the thing that Canadians are going to be listening to or looking for from us right now? And that's going to be, I think, in the, uh, you know, in the, in the budget and in the, uh, in the in the spring legislative session, I wouldn't worry too too much about it right now. But if when the budget comes and the spring legislative session happens, people are still talking about this. You know, the country is broken. Then you've got a bigger issue. And I honestly do believe it will improve with the weather uh, when it is cold. When you are through, you know, it, this is a daunting time in Canadians' lives every year. And then spring arrives. 
and we get happier. So this may not have the resonance when when the Liberals are bringing the spring springtime uh, legislation in. Corey, do you agree with Carter's point that just kind of hold tight, or does it does it have legs and it runs? Well. I don't think hope is much of a plan. I think they need a little bit more than that. Oh my they, god, what know. a simplification. Oh my god, did you actually Oh. Ah. Uh, once the weather gets nice, everybody'll be in a better mood. Oh, oh my. <laughs> Look, I think that ultimately they do need to change the frame, right? Uh, and if they're having a problem talking about Canada versus this, you know, idealized version of Canada that has never really existed, right? Just this is the same problem that happened in 2016 for the Americans. Maybe there does need to be a frame change. You know, Canada is resilient. Canada is a beacon to the world. Canada tops freedom indexes, tops quality of life indexes. There is no better place to be than Canada. You know, it's not, it's not Canada's broken. Canada is an envious place to be and, and we've got to protect it and build it and we never rest on our laurels. And there's probably more there than the liberals are giving it credit for because they do seem to be playing a lot of defense right now. And a lot of evidence of that is in this coming out of their cabinet retreat, caucus retreat, this idea that they they had almost this mini slogan of meet the moment. I've been dying to talk to you guys about this. Huh? Tell us. So meet, the, meet the moment. The idea of meeting the moment. First of all, the moment implies that it's this bad moment, like the yeah. things are happening here. But what is the moment? What, who is meeting the moment? Are we talking about them meeting their negative popularity? Are we talking about Canadians meeting a broken Canada? I don't think that either is super helpful to them. I don't. I don't understand what they're doing, and I. I, I want to know. If either of you knows what the hell they're doing on this front. Meet, meet the moment just sounds like one of those things that someone came up with in a room and they thought, oh, that's really great. This is the moment. And, you know, they, they use marketing slogans like they're trying to sell, you know, a, a bottle of Jolt Cola or something like that. I've never understood. Yeah, Jolt, Jolt Cola, Annalise, if you're wondering, is, is an old caffeinated beverage back before there was Red Bull. Carter, uh, I know but, what Jolt Cola is. Yeah. You saw it in a museum. You saw it on like a retro show. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I hit the retro. But the, but the uh, here's the, the the how does that apply to me? Right, I, we have talked about this a thousand times. Put the audience in the center of the story. Meeting the moment, like. I met the moment in the pandemic. I would like the moments to fucking end. Thank you. I would I just, like to actually savor the fucking moment. You know, this meeting the moment shit is just, it's over for me. But like, how do, well, how do is, slogans like that? Like, is that just because you're so in your bubble and you're all patting each other on the back oh, and you're like, this is oh, I got great. a story about like, this. What, like, Here we go. At, at what point does no one say before they go public with that? Like, this is a shit slogan. Let's not do this. They they might have. Um, so, okay. I, I can't get past who is meeting what moment, but let me tell you a story about my time in government here. And it goes back to 2016, 2017. And there was, um, you know, this was the, the Alberta government and there was... Um, you know, it, it, popularity had dipped a fair bit. You know, government approval was on the wrong track for sure. Uh, this was just when the carbon tax was introduced. It was the moment of maximum anxiety. People didn't know whether it was going to bankrupt them or what. Certainly the opposition was suggesting that it would be this massive financial hit. You'll remember all the theatrics of people going oh, and yeah. you know, filling up mm -hmm. gas tanks before December 31st rolled into January 1st. Absolutely stupid shit, right? Um, and there was this moment 
where, uh, you know, there was a, a conscious refocusing of government towards things that uh, were were much more meat and potatoes for Albertans. And it was sort of encapsulated in this idea, this idea that people needed, you know, the government needed to work to make life better for Albertans. Like that had to be the focus. And it was literally like words on a slide. Um, it was kind of this joint, you know, it was post kind of political direction. Okay, now how would the public service sort of make this into a mantra? And like, it was like, this is the concept. This is the concept we're going towards, right? Um, and then, uh, but never meant to be a slogan. And then all of a sudden, you know, when it came time for us to sort of be putting bundlings together and pitching slogans to the political people for like government, you know, lecterns and things mm -hmm. like this, you might even remember these analysts that oh, said yeah. like working, you know, yeah. there were a lot of proposals and the chief of staff at the time said, well, I thought we agreed it was working to make life better. It was like, no, we didn't. We we agreed that was the general sentiment we were going towards, but we didn't agree that these were the words. But ultimately, the chief of staff has that power to sort of make that the thing. And um, and then it became working to make life better. And it was a total accident. I mean, it, it was ultimately the sentiment they were going for, but it lacked poetry. And sometimes that's what happens. Sometimes somebody just has words up on a slide and they resonate with the people in the room, which is where I go back to like, who was meeting what moment? Like, it, did it resonate with you? Because you're like, yeah, we got to step up. We got to be the people who turn this around and get reelected. Or were you actually thinking about your audience of Canadians? Because I have trouble thinking about the second one and having it make any sense. But it has resonance in the room with deciders and then deciders make it so. And and it it's the story as old as time. Like there, for every bad slogan out there, I guarantee you there are two dozen brand experts who are so fucking frustrated because they absolutely knew it was not a very good idea. Yeah. But ultimately the brand experts don't often get to make that call. When we saw with the making life Alberta going into the election, the provincial one, it was jobs pipeline economy on certain yeah. podiums and making life better on, um, on others, right? On other That's ones, yeah. a big contrast. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd actually rejected slogans, you know, I just because, you know, Joe Clark's slogan was honesty, integrity and trust. I mean, like, fuck, man, like that doesn't mean anything. Like, what yeah. does that even mean? So the, the, the slogan, I think that I've come to appreciate the slogan a little bit more, especially after my time in Surrey, because I needed a soundbite that would put the idea into people's heads of what they were going to get, what it is that they were going to get by choosing the candidate I was pushing. And I think that that's where we got off track. We get these kind of aspirational sentences, you know, this is what I think I want, you know, this is, I, you know, but I want healthcare tomorrow, right? I want healthcare right now. I want to take my kid to the fucking doctor and have the doctor see my fucking kid. Right. That's a pretty good one. Take the kid to the fucking doctor. That's really on brand with Rachel. She would actually put, fit put on right the podium. On yeah. Yeah. But this is, um, you know, this isn't what we wind up with. Instead, we wind up creating these, these, uh, language, you know, this, the stupid words that don't mean anything. And that's where I think the problem or where the brilliance of, um, you know, Polyev's slogan is, is really working. Canada is broken. Um, I know where I fit in that story. Uh, I don't want to be in that story, but I am in that story, right? Because I still haven't got my life back after the pandemic, and I'd like it back, well, please. Yeah, so so well put. And the thing about, I think slogans get a bad rap because there are a lot of bad slogans. But yeah. one of the problems that there is, I think, in politics in particular, but everywhere, is 
People confuse positioning statements. They confuse brand position more generally with a slogan, right? And, um, and quite often they also confuse values with a slogan and they will make some pretty basic values. A slogan about integrity, by the way, that is so classic (laughs) insider thinking because you assume that everybody sees you as being the one with integrity and your opponent as being the one without integrity. You, You know what, you know what slogan actually worked? When we finally unveiled it, Joe Clark, not just another pretty face. That one worked because we were <laughs> contrasting go. with Stockwell Day. Well, so let's get to what a good slogan actually is. Yeah, that's is. what I, I was going to say is do you have examples? Yeah. And I mean, you talked about the Make make America um, Great and this Canada. Great again. Yeah, this um, Canada is broken. Like what are, what are kind of good examples of political slogans? Well, let's, let's start with corporate. Let's start with corporate. Okay. Like a slogan is supposed to be like a mnemonic that evokes a brand promise, right? So you'd have like, I think it's United is like fly the friendly skies, right? So that suggests a certain type of experience you're going to have while you're on the airplane. Uh, Apple famously in the 90s was think different, right? And and even that it's grammatically would be think differently. And so it's almost like an inside. It's like a joke within the joke there, right? Where they're willing to act differently by acting different. And it, it tells you something about them in an economy of words and it evokes something. That's what a slogan does. It, it, but evoking is the important part there. Where I think a lot of slogans fall down is they either forget the economy of words and then you end up with a total mouthful and it's like this big positioning statement or it evokes nothing like some of the examples that Stephen's given here. And, and so the reality is Donald Trump was very good at this. Make America Great Again was a really good slogan. Um, the idea of, uh, of, uh, making everything about the economy was a really good kind of internal position that they had on the, uh, on the Bill Clinton campaign, but it, it's not, it's not something that, um, that politicians generally have a lot of success with. I would actually say the liberals in 2015, real change was not a bad slogan because it it spoke to like a brand or market position that they wanted to have, you know? So yes, there was change that was coming from the uh, NDP. You got to keep in mind it was a three-way race, Mm -hmm. but they were offering the liberals. I mean, they walked away from so much of it so quickly. Those, those guys (laughs) have created a whole new generation of cynics here. This takes us all the way back to 2015 and you're still bitter. It was going to be the last election under first past the post. You know, we were going to bring in all these Syrian refugees. We were going to change everything about how we ran our country, right? It was real change. Mm -hmm. That's what they described themselves as. And that's not a bad slogan, in my opinion. What about um, provincially? Like we're going into a provincial election in the next couple months. Um, Do you have any advice for the UCP or the NDP on slogans? Yeah, start with market position first. Like if you don't know your market position, you're wasting your time jumping right to slogan. Like what do you actually want to be relative to your competitors in in this competitive marketplace that is UCP versus NDP? What's the space you're carving out here? And so let's just say it is um, for the UCP. And I'm not going to come up with poetry on the spot, but kind of directionally where it is, right? Let's just say it's the thing that Stephen was talking about a few weeks ago, and it's the economy. It's all about the economy. Yeah. Then it's, you know, uh, you know, then the slogan becomes something like prosperity that propels, right? And then like this, the, the thing underneath is like, that's what allows us to pay for all of these programs that we want to do, right? Now, say if you're the NDP Let and you want NDP. it to be about, 
I want to do the NDP. Yeah, you go for you it. You do the NDP, Cause, okay. Carter. Because the NDP... The well, NDP prosperity con- that propels on one podium. What's on your NDP podium? Yeah, I mean, we're going to continue with the alliteration theme and go with families first. <laughs> we're going to put first. your family first. We're going to put your families first in healthcare. We're going to put your families first in education. We're going to put your families first in the in the economy, right? And and you you can, can you, you know, propel... What is the central difference between these two different organizations? One is about the economic engine that is Alberta, and one is about the people who make up that economic engine. And you can play with both of those. Um, you know, these are, you know, the, those are off the top of our head. But what's most important is that those are the actual brand structures or brand positions of who they have to appeal to. They have to appeal to their core audience and. It has to make sense to them. They have to understand where they fit within it. And that's where the, you know, economy for the, for the UCP and families for the NDP just makes sense. I think you'd, you'd want something more, you know, poetic to be sure, but um, you can go with that. Those are good starting points. Well, let's uh, just lastly, and then we can move on. Let's rate each other's Corey. What do you, what do you think of families first? Uh, D minus, really trite, been used by so many people. But also, more importantly, I actually don't think that's what their positioning statement. Yeah. I don't think that's what their position will be. What? Yeah, no, I think it's I, much more about your, stability. Yeah, I mean, Corey uh, falling for alliteration like the way he did, and just kind of creating this, you know, idea for the ND for the UCP. First of all, I think he should be shot for giving them anything positive. Um, and sec- secondly, uh, it's just not very good. What's your what's your letter grade? <laughs> I don't have to give a fucking letter grade. Have you not listened to the podcast before? What is this? What's your letter well, you, grade? You got Thanks, a D Zane. Minus. Thanks for listening. Got a D minus, Carter. Oh, um, I don't really care. Zane, Corey and I, Corey, I can't believe we're still doing this podcast after all these years. Yeah, one thousand thirty-four episodes. <sighs> That's a, a lot, lot of, of episodes. A lot of fucking Corey Hogan time. Corey, what I'm did to you want across. to give us your NDP positioning and slogan, or we're moving on? Well, oh, I, I think we should move yeah. on. I mean, it's not going to be any yeah, better. They got to rope in stability. He and knows the idea he can't do it. He knows he can't come up with anything better oh. than lying. So he's. I'll, you know what? I'll just drop it at the end. That's what I'll okay. do. Oh, you um, How's that sound? Okay. Do you, you guys? Do you want to talk about Calgary next, or do you want to move into the lightning round? What do you want to do? You're the host. We don't get any. I know I'm the host. I know. Okay, let's talk briefly about Calgary next. <laughs> this is great. You're becoming Zane slowly. Yeah. Your questions have you noticed will her get questions longer? have lasted longer today yeah. than they ever have? She has gotten a yeah. good longer? sixth great. of the podcast in today. She'll, okay. Next I'm week she'll be up say. to uh, she'll be up to a third. You know it's going to happen. <laughs> uh, I did get recognized today for my voice on the strategist Carter, so it's just going to my head and. Uh, it's going to keep going. Hey, listen, um, we told you this would happen and you didn't believe us. You were like, I no d- one listens to this shit. I don't even know why. I'm doing <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> that is exactly how our conversation went. Um, <laughs> okay. Let's just chat briefly. Uh, the question here, maybe the segment is called, are we really still talking about Calgary next? Um, long story short, I'm just going to set this up because you have informed me lots of our listeners don't live in Calgary and I care about our listeners. Um, so negotiations continue for a new event center in Calgary. These have been happening for years. Uh, there was this plan for a mega hybrid arena stadium field house complex in the West Village that was known as Calgary Next. 
Um, I was a city hall reporter, actually, when a lot of that chatter was happening around 2017. Um, that died. And then there was a deal for an arena in Victoria Park. Um, that also died. And then the city recently launched this new event center committee. And um, Daniel Smith is now premier and seems to be more keen on the idea of subsidizing billionaires and um, other people that we've had previously. Um, so in terms of what's new, there was a meeting today, Monday, among the new event center committee. And basically one of the things reporters picked up on after the scrums when the meeting was done, I think the meeting was behind closed doors, um, was mm-hmm. that the committee is looking at all possible options when it comes to location. Um, so just briefly, again, for those like not following this or from Calgary, there's a long list of reasons why Calgary Next was a bad idea. From what I remember reporting this story at the time, um, the number one reason is that the land is contaminated by creosote. Also, like the number two, three, four, five, six reason, like the land is, <laughs> yeah. is really, really uh, yeah, contaminated. It's quite, I, I, quite poisonous. I can't tell you how many stories I wrote about how contaminated this land is. And then another reason is um, that the cost balloons to nearly $2 billion. That was in 2017 dollars and taxpayers would have been on the hook for two thirds. Um, so Carter, I know you've got some thoughts here. Oh yeah. But uh, what do you think? Should we revive Calgary next? Uh, no, it's a dumb idea. Annalise, thanks for asking. Um, First of all, let me just say, I don't think that the, the, the worst idea or the reason for not doing it is actually the creosote. I mean, obviously, the creosote's a problem, but one could argue that using a giant public works process, project to clean up the creosote might actually be good for, for Calgary. I'm just throwing it out there. But the, the challenge is we have a number of areas that are currently under redevelopment. We have the East Village. We have the Rivers District, where we were planning to put the uh, the arena in the first place, uh, or in the second place, I guess. Um, we also have the west end of downtown and the entire downtown, which has currently got a 30% occupancy or vacancy uh, because no one no one's working in these places anymore. All of which to say, there's a lot of problems that you need to solve before you start going up and figuring out the next problem, which is trying to put in an arena uh, in a place that doesn't make a whole lot of sense for a whole lot of economic reasons. Um, to me, this is a uh, – Danielle Smith also has no business being in this discussion. Uh, this is not a provincial issue. The province wasn't involved when uh, we built the Oilers' new facility. That was built by the city of Edmonton. The deal was done by Edmonton. All the province did was allow our MSI funding to be used for um, the arena. That was it. That that funding is really up to the municipality how to allocate. We removed some restrictions, and that was it. This, why on earth is Rick McIver even sitting on this committee? Why would you see the province of Alberta dropping in people? And this is one of those things that you should watch for, regardless of where you live. British Columbia, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Ontario, wherever you live, when you're watching the, the provincial government taking on municipal responsibilities, it's because something is happening there that's not necessarily a good thing. We're seeing it in the Green Belt in Ontario, where all of a sudden Doug Ford is mandating new housing construction. And we're seeing it here in this, in this arena deal where Danielle Smith seems to be pushing for a solution that the provin- that the, the municipal leaders had rejected for all kinds of valid reasons. This is a huge overstep uh, by this provincial government, and it doesn't make any sense at all unless the province is bringing their fucking checkbook. 
what well, does it not make sense if the province has made promises to certain people? Well, sure, but even then, the province doesn't get to tell the city how to make a decision. The only reason that the city would make a decision like this that would that would favor the billionaires, as you eloquently put it in your opening, would be because the province is choosing to to fund parts of it. Um, because otherwise, the city's not going to say, "Well, we're not going to," you know, "we'll be on the hook for whatever whatever promises you made to Murray Edwards, uh, Danielle." It sounds like a great idea. How can we pony up uh, billions of dollars for for your for your political promises? That's not the way the, that it works at City Hall. And just one more question for you, there, Carter. Does moving it, like moving it away from Victoria Park, and I, you would probably know this better than I because I haven't paid super tons of attention to the Green Line stuff. Does that not essentially really harm the Green Line? Well, the Green Line it w- makes sense not for sporting events, but it makes sense for um, it makes sense for for the city. The Green Line and, and better transit uh, is just a good idea for the city writ large. What happens though is the Green Line passes within two or three blocks of the new event center location, and the uh, Red Line, which is the North South Line, also passes within two or three blocks. And the um, the other line, the Blue Line, which is the East West uh, LRT, is within one stop of the event center. Um, so you have a integrated transit solution to uh for the city of calgary and uh, a large you know a large public gathering space which would be the arena um there is no such support none at all um that we have a stage a station that was built for a residential uh out in in sonalta that would be overrun in seconds if we put something this large uh near it so it, it just it doesn't make any sense at all this yeah, is a uh, a stupid idea. You know, don't, don't we stupid have a we're, a, we're a podcast that once talked about a Dairy Queen for an hour, so I can appreciate a good deep dive. But these five minutes we've become the sprawl cast. I, oh I do realize my that God. maybe, maybe we should focus on the politics of this, Stephen. And I'll tell you, like you, you are all into like, can the station allow this? Can the station not allow this? That's not the province's interest in this. Not a bit. Well, it also wasn't the my question, province- Carter. My question was like, don't we have a premier who wants to kill the Green Line? And by by moving this out of the place where it's supposed to be, that would it's, help kill the Green Line? It can't kill the Green Line. It's, it's the Green Line stuck. The Green Line can't be killed. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, anything can be, but it would, it would, it's impossible now. Really I, quite you're impossible. You're just tempting fate now. Yeah, you know, I know. I, I, Tell me about the politics, Mr. Happy. Tell me about the tell me what she's aiming for then. Like I don't know. I don't I don't think that I, I whether it makes sense doesn't make sense that's almost immaterial. There's a simple reality that the NHL is really good at pulling the strings of sports fans, particularly around this time of year and threatening people with the notion that their franchise is not going to be there anymore. You've got down in Glendale uh, not Glendale anymore. I I can't remember which of the suburban areas in Phoenix now. Yeah. Is ponying up $2.1 billion potentially for the Phoenix Coyotes to get a new arena for the love of God, right? If you can get $2.1 billion out of the good people of Phoenix, I think that, you know, when you start talking about hockey crazy Calgarians, you start to see where the politics come at play here. I don't even think Danielle Smith cares if there's a solution per se. She wants to look like she is the, the broker who made it happen. Except our and numbers. She's willing to pay a little bit of money for that. Except our numbers don't support that. It turns out the Calgarians don't want to support this club in that fashion. They want the they want the flames. They do not want to pay for the arena. They don't understand hey. why they need to pay for the arena when they're paying for their tickets. 
And that's okay. That's that polling is super strong. It's been consistent for about four and a half years, and it's not going anywhere. And every time someone tries to dip their toe into this, they wind up getting hurt because the arena does not. It it pulls well with a small group of people, but they don't have the rest of us. Don't give a shit at all. No doubt that's true municipally. But when you start thinking about provincial money, it starts to feel like it's not necessarily my money to the same degree, right? Oh, that's being paid for out of the oil sands. Oh, that's coming from the entire province. Oh, that's a good way for Calgary to finally get our fair share of it. The other part is, and we've talked about this, the NDP need to run the tables in Calgary. Danielle Smith doesn't need to pick a winner. She just needs to pick an issue that makes her a winner on the edges of Calgary. And, And just with certain populations and certain groups of people. So do you think this is a vote getter in Calgary, Corey? I don't, but I think it's not a vote loser amongst the population she needs. Uh, you know, on net, no. You know, I, I I totally accept what Stephen said about the cynicism Calgarians have about paying for it. But again, she doesn't need to win all the votes or even most of the votes. She just needs the right votes. And I think she's calculated this will get her some of the right votes. I, I think that she's jumped into a problem that she doesn't understand and will ultimately backfire on her if, A, she can't come to a solution. And I think that's probably the most likely outcome. Even with a bucket full of cash, um, the solutions aren't easy to reach. Um, she can try and blame this all on Gondek, uh, which probably will work given, you know, that's that's the strategy that the uh, the liars that own the flames tried. Um, so whatever. I mean, I think that this could work for her, but it's probably not going to. Do you think it can work for her, Corey? I I don't think it needs to work. She just needs to give hope through May, right? Like this doesn't need to be resolved by then. Okay. Let's leave it there. We'll do a quick lightning round. Um, a two-question job-focused lightning round. The first question is um, Hazel, the former mayor of Mississauga. She died last week. She was 101. She was mayor for 36 years starting in the 70s until November 2014, um, mayor into her 90s. The question is, do you think a politician could have a career in municipal politics for that long? Like nowadays, let's say they were elected in like 2023. Do you think Do you think this could happen? They could still be serving 36 years from now? Carter? Uh, yeah, I do. But I don't think it would happen on the big 10 cities. I think that it would happen on something like, you know, Airdrie or, um, you know, like the, the kind of suburban type cities where you've got someone that you can blame for all your problems um, and also a big tax base that you can kind of piggyback on and keep your, your taxes artificially low. So you can always point to the next, the guy, uh, one, one community over and say, whew, aren't you ever so lucky you don't live there where their taxes are super high. We're just, uh, we're just moderately high right underneath them. Corey, how about you? Could it could it happen again? Yeah, but it would require such a unique set of circumstances. When Hazel became mayor of Mississauga, I mean, Mississauga was brand new. It was barely a new municipality. Yeah. And I think there were about 200,000 people there. There's about 800,000 now. That city, its growth is synonymous with her reign. And, uh, you know, there was just such an amazing set of conditions that allowed her to build what was essentially a bedroom community of Toronto into a second core would be beyond extreme. Like if you've been to Mississauga, you know, that's just not the case. But there is a downtown Mississauga now. I hear there's even a Cactus Club Cafe there. (laughs) If if that's the kind of thing that interests you. And so 
I think there was just so much goodwill. I also think the reality is that being a mayor is is a less objectionable job, right? You don't need to over you you could have returned everybody new except for Hazel and entirely changed the composition of that council and Hazel could still be there as the figurehead. And and so she rode a wave and I think that it's not impossible to ride that same wave, but you would have to be at just like a moment of all good news for a city, like all prosperity. And that's that's pretty rare. I, I think it generally comes with being the bedroom community of a major city. That That's what it is, because you need that big comparator where you're not as bad as that guy. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not John Tory, so you did okay. If you're the yeah. Nahad Nenshi sitting next to, you know, running Calgary, there's no way you're going to be able to do it because you're the you're the trendsetter. You're the one who's creating the problems. Well, and who who wants to be a mayor for 36 years? Like, that's not, that's so long. That's older than there's me. A lot of, there's a lot of people that, you know, first of all, that's older than you. Fuck off is the answer from Corey and I. Thanks, Carter. God. Thanks. Okay, next uh, question. Just next very question. upsetting. Also oh. job related. Um, former Alberta Premier Jason Kenney, he's got a new job, guys. He tweeted last week that he's joining the public policy group at Bennett Jones Law as a senior advisor. Um, the question is, and Corey, we'll start with you. Are you surprised that this is where he landed? No. I mean, when we think about where Stephen Harper landed, you know, very comparable role. And it, it, look, it makes an awful lot of sense. There are clients that come to law firms for all sorts of problems. The one commonality they have if they go to Bennett Jones is they have deep pockets. They're probably big multinationals. They want people who understand these files. And Jason Kenney is a policy wonk. He will be so good at that job. He's a super smart guy. I'm so happy whenever somebody leaves politics and has a next act because it seems to get rarer and rarer. And I, for one, wish him the absolute best. And I think more people should hire former politicians who worked at his level. Okay. Carter, anything to add there? No, I, I agree with Corey. I, you know, we people always ask us what books we recommend, and I always recommend The Dark Side. And part of The Dark Side is understanding just how hard it is for former politicians to land on their feet and... Uh, I'm pro former politicians landing on their feet. I think that uh, Jason, you know, landing on his feet at Bennett Jones is going to be good for Bennett Jones is going to be good for their clients. Okay, cool. Uh, Let's leave it there. That's a wrap on episode 1034 of The Strategist. My name is Annalise Klingbeil and with you as always, Stephen Carter and Corey Hogan. Stability supports for families, for health, for education. Oh, no. They need to get to a space that's more like stability? a government. Stability. Government that you and your family can rely on has got to be almost the feeling, the sentiment, the market oh position there. God. I think they should follow that up with policies that really are a package of stability measures for the economy, including taking things like tax hikes off the table, stability for services, absolutely, investing in services. The slogan, though, is going to be something more in the space of like, count on us. Right. It talks to the stability, the grown upness and the and the reliability of government under the NDP. I mean, it's no families first.